Assalamu alaikum and welcome to another episode of the Dr. Will Show, where I interview educators and entrepreneurs on leveling up. Each episode, I zoom in someone who's dope, and we just sit back and have a conversation on what it means to live your best life. Now, if this is your first time checking out the podcast, this is the Mobile University for Entrepreneurs, and I'm your host, Dr. Will. Uh, today's guest came to me because I put out this fielder on Facebook, uh, well, Twitter, asking people, hey, I'm looking for an educator who has become an entrepreneur, entrepreneur, and Lindy was one of the people. Uh, and I started to look, and she is the person that, the only person that has created a platform. You know, other educators who have been created education-based businesses, entrepreneur, you know, it's consulting, it's writing, it's courses. But I said, wow, platform, this is intriguing. Uh, so I wanted to have her on uh, to talk about the work that she is doing. And people, we are recording right now. And I did not ask Lindy how to say her last name. Uh, <laughs> before we I, I was going to say, I can say it for you so that, so that you don't, I don't have to make you give it, give it a try. It's Lindy Ledahowski. Ledahowski? Oh, okay. All right. All right. Yeah. I was just, I just, I was thinking, I was like, okay. Then when I thought about it, I said, oh, I don't know. I don't know. Okay. I didn't want to mess that up, you know, because people mess my last name up all the time. So Lindy. But those who be listening on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, iHeartRadio, Stitcher, and Simplecast, will you please introduce yourself? Yeah, sure thing. Thank you so much, Dr. Will, for having me. I am Dr. Lindy, uh, so Lindy Ledahowski. Um, I am currently the co-founder and CEO of SA Jack, and that's the platform that you were talking about. Uh, and before that, I was a high school English teacher, and then I was a, an English university professor. So um, my educational experience spans basically from sort of 14-year-olds right up to master's and, and PhD level students. Awesome, awesome. So when you were growing up, what did you think you would be doing and what drew you to the field of education? Yeah, that's a really good question. And uh, if you ask anybody who knew me when I was a kid, they would say, Lindy wants to be a doctor when she grows up. So somehow when I was like four or five years old, I had this idea that to be a doctor meant that I could help people. You know, in my experience, doctors, medical doctors, you went to them when you were sick and they fixed you and it was amazing. And, and, and I wanted that. And as soon as I learned the word pediatrician, um, then I clarified, you know, I was, I was going to be a pediatrician. I was, I was going to help kids. Um, so as I was a young kid, I was going to help kids. That was, that was it. And, and um, I don't know about your family, but my family was one where when you had this precocious little five, six, seven-year-old saying, I want to be a pediatrician when I grow up, all of the adults like, oh, that's so lovely. And they pat you on the head and it sort of reinforces things for, for some time to come. And it wasn't until my teen years that I really thought, oh, doctors do more than just help people. They also have to deal with all kinds of gross things like blood and you know, everything that goes along with, with the medical practice. And, and by that time I figured, okay, well there, there are other ways to help kids 
Um, and so then I got drawn into education still with that desire to help people, but maybe not help them through medicine. Uh, mm. And so then for me, it was, I will help them with words. I won't help them with sort of blood and guts. <laughs> I hear you. I hear you. Um, you are the co-founder of Essay Jack, as we mentioned earlier. What services does your company provide? Because I was just like, oh my gosh, this is a platform. Yes, yes, yes. Um, and what was the pain point behind you creating a company? Yeah, yeah, that's a that's a good question as well. So um, Essay Jack itself, it's an online web platform. Um, in its simplest form, I would say it's sort of smart templating for academic writing. Um, so it sort of walks students through essays and business reports and other kinds of genre specific writing tasks that they might have. And it asks them um, questions, guided questions to sort of lead them through, essentially, so that no student has to open up a blank word processing screen when they have an essay due. So that was sort of what we were, we were trying to, um, to help students with. And then sort of the second part of your really good question is sort of the, the why question. Um, what what drew us to, to starting SAJACT or creating SAJACT. And really it came out of classroom practice. So we had my co-founder as a law professor. At the time I was an English professor. And you would have this experience where you have um, smart, engaged, interesting students in your class. And then you say, okay, so write a, you know, a 1200 word essay on whatever poem or novel. And you would get back work that didn't display their talents. And so we really thought, well, you know what? I'm just too young to be a kind of professor who like shakes her canes at kids these days. They don't know how to write. You know, and I thought, okay, we, we can um, use technology and, and solve this problem. So that was kind of the kernel um, that, that got it all started or the seed that we planted to get it all started. Mm. They don't write. They don't write in high school or elementary school like they used to. And it's interesting when I hear college professors say, oh, this writing is terrible. <laughs> yeah, and, and, and I'm one of the few who's done both, who's done the high school teaching and the university teaching. And so it kind of frustrated me because at college and university, professors will often be like, well, what are they teaching in high school? Why, you know, why are people coming um, unprepared? And I think I had... Um, a bigger window into all the various complicated things that happen in, in high school classes. And I myself, I thought I was a pretty good high school teacher. So I was much more sympathetic to high school teachers out there. And I thought, well, this isn't a problem of bad teaching. It's a really complicated problem and, and technology might be able to, to help. That's all right. That's all right. I wonder if people are going to start using it for the dissertation. Uh, yeah, yeah, we, we've got some, some people, um, particularly um, outside of, say, the U.S. or Canada, um, in other parts of the world where uh, people are looking for guidance for academic writing when it comes to their master's thesis or their dissertation. So, yeah, we, we can help those kind of students, too. That's all right. That's all right. I love that. I always tell people that the dissertation is a job. If you treat it like a hobby... You'll never get it done. So you have to write every day and understand that it's not war and peace. You, you know, you're trying to write about this one specific issue, write it, get it done and walk away. Yeah. 
Yeah, I, I totally agree. I mean, some people say, you know, the, the best dinner dissertation, it's a finished dissertation. Yes, 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 it is. It is. Um, so you have an interesting business model, right? So at first you were, you know, you're talking, you're selling the schools. Now I, I looked on the website and I said, wow, so you're selling uh, to teachers. And then I saw a piece where, oh, so parents can buy a license. So what went into the discussions you had with your co-founder when you were looking at how you're going to sell and market and position SA Jack? And um, how do you see it, it as a resource in the educational technology space? Yeah, so when we started, I don't think we really um, knew about sort of sophisticated positioning in the marketplace. Um, we were educators and so we were sort of like, let's build what we wish our students had. Um, but along the way, we figured out some things and, and a couple of principles that we had were really key in, at, at our starting point, um, which then informed um, our marketing, which is that we wanted to create something um, that had buy-in from teachers so we didn't just want to create a kind of gimmicky like, hey, we'll write your essay for you sort of thing, but something that was pedagogically sound that um, teachers and professors and instructors would find it useful and it would um, be in keeping with what they did in the classroom. And so that meant that our first customers, our first clients were going to be institutional. So we went to schools and colleges and universities to see, you know, hey, can we get a class on? Can we get a department? Can we get a faculty? And then sort of grow institutional licensing from there. And so that was A, so we could get that buy-in from the real educators. Um, B, so that we could then ask them questions, you know, is this what you want? Do you want something different? Do you want something more? And we could have that really sort of closer relationship with our customers. Mm -hmm. And then the, the third piece was that it allowed us to get some scale pretty quickly because otherwise we'd be just spending a bunch of money on Facebook ads or YouTube ads to get individual students to sign up. And uh, we thought, well, if we can get a whole school on or a couple of classes, we can get that scale more quickly. Um, so that's sort of how we got started. And now we're sort of at the point where we have enough of an offering that whether it's individual students or parents or they're practicing for tests or it's students who want to come to say Canada or the US or the UK or Australia, to study college or university, but they're from someplace else in the world and they want to make sure that their writing is up to the level um, of the sort of Anglo-American context. So we thought, so now we can get individual subscribers who, who might be interested in signing up. So whether that's parents or students themselves. So there are so many educators who are now looking to monetize their talents. And I'm just like, yes. So whether it's K through 12 or higher ed, when you were going through your checklist of your talents and your passions and things that sort of drive you and wake you up in the morning, how did you settle up, settle on, well, I don't want to say settle, but how did you choose writing, right? Assisting people, you know, students in improving uh, their writing skills. What considerations went into, went into you actually building a business around that concept? Yeah, yeah. And I think uh, there are a couple of ways of answering it. I mean, one, 
you know, that's what I know and that's what I, I care about. And, and I've, you know, I've taught teachers how to teach and I've taught, as I say, sort of students from grade nine up to university into master's and PhD level. So focusing on writing and the critical thinking that comes out um, in writing is something that I care a lot about and that I know a lot about. And then, but then the second piece is also like writing is one of those skills that um, everybody is expected to do at some point in their educational experience. So everybody is expected to write a book report at the very least. In most cases, there's, you know, the five paragraph essay that somebody has to write. And so that's this gateway that most students will have to walk through at some point. Um, and they may not necessarily always get um, the best training in, in writing. And so for me, I thought, well, if that's an intervention I can make, wouldn't that be great? Um, and it can also level that playing field because there's so much research out there that says, you know, if you come from a family that's English speaking and your family has post-secondary education, all that, then all of the indicators are that you will be more successful in school. And then of course, if you're successful in school, you're more successful in your career afterwards, statistically speaking. And to me, I thought, well, well that's, that's kind of unfair in the sense that we don't get a choice who our parents are. And so if technology can even that playing field a bit so that you don't have to just have the luck of the draw of having a, a good teacher who teaches you, but you can sign on to a platform and that platform mm -hmm. has the kind of expertise from you know, if I can be so bold as to say somebody who considers herself a good teacher, you know, you can, you can access that even if you don't ever end up in a classroom with me. So that's kind of the, the muddle of thoughts um, that went into saying, okay, you know, writing is going to be the piece that, that um, proves to be the avenue I will follow as, as I venture into entrepreneurship. Mm -hmm. So I want to throw this out there to you because when the idea came to you and your founder and you said, oh, let's do this. Okay, because it's not a course delivered via Thingific, it's not a book, it's not a consulting uh, session, it's not a webinar, this is a platform. So it has to be built, right? <laughs> so I, when the idea hit you, yes, this is a need, we wanna do this, how did you go about finding people who would build the platform and then you learn, right, along the way how this thing was going to work so that you knew enough to know, okay, this is actually being done the right way? Yeah, ha, ha, ha. So, um, you know, one day when we're, we're off the air, I'll tell you all the scary stories <laughs> behind the scenes. Um, but but the, the truth of the matter is, and, and I mean, you hit the nail on the head. So, so if you're going out and you're consulting or you're selling your lesson plans or you're even, you know, writing books and selling books and things like that, um, it's within your control as an educator. And, and um, unless you're a coder, and I'm not, um, you have to hire people to do that, that development. And that's really tough because, of course, at the beginning, you don't know if what the person's building is any good or not, even if from the, the user interface perspective it does what it's supposed to do. So when we started, 
Um, we had a really sort of clunky prototype that, you know, our developer that we hired, you know, and we found through a friend of a friend and, you know, paid him a couple thousand dollars to build a, a sort of website prototype of what we described. And we literally cut out pieces of paper and sort of moved it around and said, like, so you would click here and then this would happen and this, you know, to sort of explain to him uh, what our vision was. And then he built that in, in about, it was about three or four weeks. And then we took it to classrooms and, and started testing it with a, with a few hundred students. Um, and then it was on the back of that feedback that we went and hired a real soft, an outsourced sort of software firm um, to sort of build up a more robust kind of beta product. But at every step of the way, one of the things that I carried to um, newly learning how to be a software developer was my experience as a scholar. So as a scholar, we do peer review. So you send out your articles and then experts read it and they provide input. So at every step along the way, we would get peer review of our code. So we'd bring in third parties, they would analyze the code, they would say, okay, here's what you need to do, here's what you don't need to do. And that would be people like who were working on their, at their day jobs at IBM. You know, it would be actual sort of trustworthy software developers who we would sort of let look under the hood, so to speak. And then by the time we partnered up with our software developers who we work with right now, we had a really sort of, they helped us develop a really robust process and workflows and the third party tools and all the rest. So now I know a lot more about software development than, than I ever did a few years ago. Um, and, I'm, and I'm obviously still learning. And I would say for anybody who has an idea that is going to say be best expressed um, either in a platform or a web app or, or a mobile app or something like that. Um, if you're not a coder, by all means, don't let that be the barrier because there are plenty of people out there who can do it. It's like if you want to remodel your kitchen, don't not do it because you're not a plumber. You can hire a plumber and, and they'll be able to do that piece. And you can still know enough to know if they're putting the sink in the right place. <laughs> you know, so it's sort of the same with, with coding, I think. And what, is, what are those conversations like when you're speaking to someone? Because as an instructional technologist, I have seen stuff that we've purchased or things that come through. And in my mind, I'm going, did you have an educator in the room when this thing was being designed? Because this thing doesn't fit what is supposed to go what's supposed to happen or I've had someone say hey can you know can I get your ear and then they're trying to tell me their product and I'm saying no your product isn't going to work because we have rules in K through 12 where you cannot do x y and z and they didn't want to hear me yeah well, we we do this we do. No, 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 no. you cannot create you know teachers cannot interact with students outside of a walled off garden that we have paid for and created under our infrastructure. You cannot put this thing on some kind of open platform. Yeah. Well, well mm, 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 mm. he heard, he, he knew his vision, but he didn't want to hear like, this is K through 12. And so when you were talking to someone knowing your education piece, right? So the two of you, you knew what writing is about. You knew what was expected in academia. You knew what good quality writing is supposed to look like. But that person on the end may or may not know that, but they know their stuff. What are those conversations like back and forth when they want to do this and you say, no, 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 this is not going to work because it must do this. Yeah, so that's... Um so, and there have been a lot of those conversations. So some of it is about the writing where, you know, they'll then say, oh, but we can do X, Y, and Z. And I'm like, yeah, but that 
has nothing to do with good writing or they'll say, um, oh, and just, you know, imagine and we can, you know, do all of this um, automatic writing for them. And I'm saying, well, that's great, but then that's not an educational tool and, and no teacher would ever use that if the student's just going to, you know, have a robot write the essay for them. Um, you know, and things, and so you have those kind of pedagogical discussions where you um, go back and forth with the developers. Some of the more interesting ones and harder to explain um, are exactly what you're talking about in terms of like regulation within a school framework. So I find my developers are, they're easily convinced of my expertise when it's the writing and teaching stuff. But when it ends up being like, okay, well, there's like privacy issues. So we, we can't build a business model that is dependent upon us emailing and trying to sell stuff to 13 year olds. That's not, that's not how it works. So we have to have, you know, protocols so that we've got sort of double blind privacy and we're not looking at student data and things like that because as a third party contractor to a school, we, that's not, that shouldn't be our business. Our business should not be about sort of getting in and getting information about students. And from a software development perspective, especially, I mean, we all know what Facebook is doing with all of our data or what any of these sort of big companies do with data. And so software developers are like, no, but, but data, we want all the data. And I'm saying, well, you know, but we can't necessarily get all the data and we need to, to be mindful and, and protect that data, um, particularly when you're dealing in a K to 12 space with, with minors. And so that's why, as you said at the beginning, you know, we can sell to parents. So if it's students who are under 18, they're not college or university, it's going to be parents who are buying an educational resource for their students, not the students themselves. And so um, those are some of the sort of butthead kind of conversations that we end up having from an education perspective um, then to the development perspective. And, um, and then certainly once you get investors in the mix, because investors who want to invest in tech companies, um, you know, they, they certainly don't want to be um, reined in by, by um, any kind of regulatory framework. And so those are where the interesting sort of give and take ends up happening. And I'm, and I'm always the loudest voice um, speaking on behalf of educators and students. I mean, that's where I, I come from. So, you know, I've, I've created technology to help in that space, um, first and foremost. So coming from academia, how did you learn the business side of entrepreneurship, you know, it's so easy. And, and I, and I've interviewed, whether it's for my documentary or this podcast, I've interviewed so many educators who have gotten into the game and the actual work. That's easy. We've studied, right? We've studied, we have degrees. We have presented at conferences. This is our daily work. We know this. But when you're talking about taxes and building a team and uh, getting an EIN number and, you know, contracting and all those other things that you'll go, oh, okay, um, how did this thing work? How did you learn those things? And, and what, is, what are some of the common mistakes you see educators make when they take the leap? 
Yeah, yeah. So I, um, you know, sort of full disclosure here, I was lucky enough, I grew up in an entrepreneurial family. So my family was in the hospitality industry, so hotels and restaurants and stuff. So some people like to joke that I have, uh, that I've inherited um, entrepreneurship. I grew up in it. I don't know if that's actually, um, if that's actually true or if that's actually the case. Um, cause it does feel like I'm, I'm having to learn everything anew at every step along the way and, and sort of figure things out. And I still don't know that I, that I know everything, um, as much as I, I wish I did. Um, one of the things for me, I think that is important for, um, educators making the leap into entrepreneurship is that realistically, um, you, you don't know what you don't know and you just kind of have to jump in and figure it out along the way. And one of the things coming from academia is I know how to research, I know how to learn. And so I kind of approached entrepreneurship the same way and said, okay, well, here are all the things that I don't know. I don't know about marketing. I don't know about finance. I don't know. But you know, when you start a dissertation, you don't know what you don't know and you, and you figure it out along the way. So I think, um, having confidence in yourself as an educator is one of the first things that can be really helpful um, in then becoming an entrepreneur, um, certainly. I think uh, one of the things too that I would add to sort of an entrepreneurial journey um, is that one of the things um, that I find entrepreneurs or, or educators who become entrepreneurs, they really can be visionaries. So often, entrepreneur entrepreneurs, so people who design products or services purely to make money um, are thinking about things from an accounting perspective. So what are the margins? What are they? And that's great. I mean, we, we, we do all want to make money, of course. Um, but I find that educators who then become entrepreneurs often have a, a bigger and better vision about, say, improving things or, or changing the world or, you know, and that, and that can be really helpful. I hear you. I hear you. That's one of the things when I started being interviewed about my, my documentary and people would say, well, what is an entrepreneur? And I would tell them that it's about the transformation of the individual. Yeah. You know, the people that we serve, you know, whatever we sell, how's that person different from having access to our product or service than before, you know, because it, it still bothers me now when I, when I see people say, oh, I can teach you how to create a course in seven days. And I'm like, stop lying to people. Like, as an educator, I know, okay, can you teach them how to do PDFs and some videos and get it out there? Yes, you can. But in terms of curriculum development and understanding how people learn, you're not going to create a course, an effective course, a transformational course in seven days. So yeah. for me, I, I love how you said that about, we want to make that impact. Uh, nothing wrong with the dollar, but, yeah. the, but the impact is what we're going for. So, uh, uh, wow. Yeah, yeah, I, and, and every step along the way when I meet um, educators who have become entrepreneurs, that's one of the things that is consistent all the way through is that, you know, they're, they're, by and large, they're people who really do want to change the world in some form, you know, whether it's change the world by teaching students coding or by making 
English language learning more easy or straightforward or by math concepts or whatever the case may be. So let's jump into marketing and branding. How did you educate yourself on marketing and branding in order for you to stand out in the marketplace? Yeah, I still don't know <laughs> that, that, that I know um, all that much about marketing and branding, or at least not as, um, as much as I feel like I should know. Um, so one of the things is certainly that I'm a big believer in um, focus testing. So one of the things that we would always do as, as um, sort of part of our core principle is to um, test things with real life students and teachers as much as possible. So things like names and imagery and colors and things like that get their real feedback. And then part of it is just sort of um, trial and error. So go on social media, engage with people you wouldn't otherwise meet, hear their stories, um, you know, find out what interests them, see if there's a way that you can engage in conversation and then sort of build up communities that way, whether those are real life communities or, or digital communities. Um, I found a sort of a first entree into branding and marketing. Um, and then the rest is again, sort of continue to learn along the way. Um, I don't know how good we are at it in terms of everybody tells me, okay, for marketing and branding, you know, need to have a consistent message and all the rest of that. And I think, but we have many messages and we want to say many different things. And so that's still something I struggle with is that, you know, what is a, a core niche, um, only one message. I don't know that we are great at having just one message. Um, but I think, again, for any educators who are thinking about marketing and branding, whether it's developing their own podcast or courseware or courses, you know, what is the thing that you're good at that you want to get out into the world? And then certainly get online into a bunch of different communities of people who are interested in that which you are interested in and see what they're talking about and see if you can be part of those sort of conversations. And that's definitely a good first step, in, in my opinion. Awesome. Awesome. Dr. Lindy, this has been awesome. Well, thank you. I, I had to move because, you know, the sun is setting and it's ending up being a bit darker where I was sitting before as the sun goes down. That's this time of year where the sun is setting earlier and earlier. Yes, it is. So before we go, I want to ask you, what is your call to action for that educator who, you know, they've been thinking about it, uh, hopefully they purchased my documentary. Uh, but if they haven't, they're listening to this podcast, they're hearing your story and they're ready. They're like, yes, I'm ready to take the next step. What do you say to them? What is your call to action for that educator to begin to monetize their talents? Yeah, I, I think the thing that I, if I can express anything to any sort of burgeoning educator slash entrepreneur out there um, it's to just do it. So one of the things that as educators, we know so much, we have a wealth of knowledge. Um, and sometimes we can overthink things and that can lead to a certain kind of paralysis. And so I'd say, just do it. Just you, you might make mistakes along the way. Doesn't matter. You'll figure it out and you'll improve. So whether it's setting up a, a Shopify store where you can sell things, whether it's creating a podcast, whether it's, you know, a series of YouTube videos, just do it um, and you'll improve along the way. And but absolutely, the more um, voices we can have out there contributing to educational 
conversations. Um, and then ideally that are also uh, monetized, that skill set is monetized, I think it's the better. It's, it makes education richer, it makes it better for students, it makes it better for teachers. Um, the more the merrier and certainly don't hold back because you might think, oh, somebody else should do it or you're not as qualified as, as somebody else. You're, if you're in front of any classroom, you are absolutely qualified to share your knowledge beyond the walls of that classroom. Amazing. People, you know how I do this. This podcast episode will be going on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, iHeartRadio, Stitcher, and Simplecast. I need you to follow, subscribe, leave your comments, leave reviews, because your boy's trying to get Oprah on the show, and I want her to know that I'm doing big things around here. Again, I'd like to thank my guest, Dr. Lindy, for coming on and dropping so many gems. I can't wait to release this episode. Again, people, thank you for checking out the Dr. Will Show, the mobile university for entrepreneurs. As always, people, invest in you. EDU, peace. Thanks for thank coming you. on. Thank you.